everybody. This is Crystal. And this is Kat. And welcome back to Alternative Interests. Hello. Hi. Hi. So something came up in the news this last week and I wanted to talk to you about it because it's actually really close to you. Okay. Did you hear about the man who was arrested because he was stealing his uh, missing brother's social security? What? Oh, no. You didn't. Okay. Uh-uh. So a man named Chris Saylor in uh, near Vancouver, Washington, uh-huh, was arrested because uh so the Washington State Department of Licensing has facial recognition. Uh-huh. And so when he renewed his driver's license, it flagged the photo because it matched the photo of someone else. So, of course, the system auto-flagged it because they're like, uh, one person can't have two different names. So, Department of Licensing contacts this guy and they're like, hey, uh, what's going on here? And so, Chris goes, oh, you know, that other guy that it flagged, that's my twin brother Jarvis. So, that's why it it flagged our photo because it, it thinks we're the same person. Okay. So the police, the police are like, oh, okay, carry on. And they look into it and they're, they come back and they're like, um, excuse me, sir. Jarvis is four years, uh, I think four years younger than you. And so, uh, Chris goes, oh, you know, there's this phenomenon that happens where like, and we've seen it where siblings look damn near identical. Uh Uh-huh. And he was like, I just, we call each other our twins. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have told you that. It's not true, but we look very much alike. It's just, we look strikingly similar. So the cops are like, okay, okay. And they look into it more and they come back and they're like, hey, Chris, we got to talk to you again. (laughs) So it turns out you're adopted. And you're not related to Jarvis, so you can't look exactly alike. Uh-huh. And, um, hey, we noticed that uh, the address on Jarvis's driver's license comes back to this address. And uh, it looks like you've been depositing his social security and disability checks since 1988. What? 88? Yes. Oh, my goodness. They were able to fully document 388 thousand dollars that he took yes holy cow that is a lot so in 1988 jarvis was living in minnesota uh-huh. and came over to washington to visit his brother chris and sometime jarvis disappeared a year later his property got foreclosed on in minnesota because he stopped making payments on it and so there, I think there's a third brother that wasn't named. Uh-huh. The articles are kind of shaky on this that uh, ended up calling the police and reporting Jarvis is missing because they're like, he, he, this was his property. So in 1988, the police talked to Chris and were like, hey, do you know anything about your brother Jarvis going missing? Yeah. And Chris is like, well, we had an argument at his apartment and we haven't talked in a little while because we were mad at each other. Uh, okay. And so that's it. The police couldn't prove anything until recently. That's it? Well, he, um, I think it was really like, I just saw the article and I couldn't find like exact dates. Uh-huh. But um, 
He was sentenced to, I think, 20 months in prison for stealing all this money. Uh-huh. And so they're, I think they're going to try and investigate to figure out, obviously, Chris did something to Jarvis. Yeah. And he's been collecting his disability for years. Um, Chris admitted to it. He's like, I knew what I was doing was wrong, but I just, I didn't want, I did not stop. And they're like, so what'd you do? What, just the money? Or, yeah. Yeah, it's just. That's crazy. It's crazy. Oh my goodness. That's greed right there. That shows yes. you just like how greed can just take you over and then you yeah. can't stop. Yeah. That's nuts. Where was that happening? Vancouver, Washington. Oh, okay. So right here. Yeah, right down by you. Right down by me. Ugh. It's just, oh, man. yeah, I saw that earlier Poor this Jarvis. week and I thought it was kind of crazy. That is nuts. Um, anyway, you don't know the case that I'm talking about today. I don't, today. and I haven't seen your notes, and I'm not going to look anything up, so I am completely blind and ready. Excellent. So today, and this is going to be a two-part, um, possibly three, because... Uh, I've already been researching this for going on three weeks now. I think I've read about 500 pages of court transcripts and oh I still gosh. have a ton to go. Jeez. Yeah. So today we are going to cover part one of Darley Routier. Okay. And this was actually requested by one of our listeners um, and her name is Meredith Massis. Okay. I'm really sorry if I pronounced her last name wrong. Hi, Meredith. This better be good, Meredith. No, I'm kidding. We're just going to dive right dive in. Right There's into a it. lot to get through. Awesome. So, Darley was born on January 4th, 1970 in Altoona, Pennsylvania. Uh, the, she and her family moved to Lubbock, Texas when she was seven years old. They ended up moving back to Pennsylvania when she was 11 and then back to Lubbock again when she was 13. Okay. I don't fully understand why the back and forth happened, but maybe jobs, maybe possibly yeah. there was a divorce in there too. Oh, okay. So I don't know so if that, that probably had, had a lot to, to do with, with it. it. Yeah. Um, but when they ultimately landed in Lubbock, she was living with her mother, Darley. So her mother's name is Darley. Her name is Darley. Okay. And her stepfather, Bob Key. Okay. She also had two younger sisters, Dana, who was 10 years younger than Darley, and Danielle, who was 12 years younger than Darley. Okay. There are a lot of D names in yeah, this story. I kind of caught on to that. <laughs> There's a lot of them. Okay. Um, so her mother was a waitress at Sizzler, and one of the testimonies said that he was a cook, and one of them said he was an assistant manager, regardless uh, one of her mother's co-workers was a 17-year-old boy named Darren. All right. And so Mother's Day, the year that Darley was 15 years old, um, she and her mom were talking and her mom tells her about this great guy she works with that she thinks Darley should meet and she introduces them. Sounds good. Darren immediately fell in love with Darley. Oh, so Darren's 17, Darley's 15. Oh, gosh. Young love. And they got married. I mean, oh, this, wow. Yeah. So Darren describes Darley as bubbly with frosted hair. 
He said that she was a glass glass half full kind of person and just very happy. It's someone you wanted to be around. Okay. So they started dating. Four years later, they got married. And Darren actually proposed to Darlie while they were on a ski lift. Like they had gone on this ski trip in Colorado and he proposed to her on the lift. Cute. So they were married August 27th, 1988. And they were living in an apartment in Garland, which is uh, kind of a subdevelopment just outside of Dallas, Texas. Okay. They went on their honeymoon to Jamaica. They lived a pretty good lifestyle. Early in their marriage, they were both working at this company called Qplex. I, I'm going to get talking about techie stuff that I don't quite understand, so I'm really sorry. But... Um, Qplex makes printed circuit boards. Printed uh, circuit boards? Like, is it? Yeah, computer parts. Okay. I don't know a ton about it, but um, basically they worked in different parts of this manufacturing plant. Okay. Darley worked there for about eight months, and Darren worked there for about four years. Okay. While they worked there, Darren started a small business of his own. So kind of what... A lot of people do these days where they have their full-time job and then they have their side hustle where they build their own company on the side. Uh-huh. So he started his own small electronics custo- electronics business called Testneck. And to start out, they started really, really small. All they sold was these pins that are used in circuit boards. Okay. Like these tiny little pieces. Apparently, it's a lucrative business. I'll take your word for it. Yeah. And <laughs> since they worked at Qplex, I they know the business. So the business, like all small businesses, started in their apartment. But as it became more and more successful in 1991 and 1992, they ended up moving up and uh, moving into a bigger house uh-huh. and moving into an actual like manufacturing building that they rented. Okay. When they moved into their new house, uh, what is the thing that a ton of people do like their first night moving into a house? What do you eat? You order takeout. Yep. Pizza. So they ordered pizza. Okay. Yes. Um, so literally... The pizza delivery guy and the real estate agent were standing in the doorway with Darlie. Like she had her keys, just barely took possession of the home and her water breaks two days after moving in. Oh, no. So she she was pregnant this whole time. And so she gave birth to their first son, Devin, on June 14th, 1989. Okay. Their business kept growing. It was actually doing really good. And Darren was able to quit his job at Qplex uh-huh. and completely work on the business. Nice. They had their second son, Damon. So many D names. <laughs> so many. So Devin is the older son. Damon is the younger son. He was born February 19th, 1991. Okay. Oh, that's Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's close to my birthday. Like, this is about me or something. Anyways, move I mean, on. It's, it's closer to mine than it yeah, is that, to yours. Oh, thanks, Crystal. Thanks. 
<laughs> just rub it in. <laughs> so they ended up buying this pretty nice house back then. Uh, it was a $130,000 home that they bought and it was located on Eagle Drive. This is a pretty nice neighborhood. Uh, the Routiers spent a lot of time together. This was a very close-knit family. Darley loved spending time with her kids. And she mentioned that she really didn't have very many memories that did not involve the boys. Okay. Like, they weren't the type of parents that loaded their kids off on other people and went off and did their own thing. Like, they traveled as a family. They went and did things as a family. They did lots of stuff together. Yeah. One of the things that Darley specifically mentions is that they loved to go out and eat. They loved to enjoy food. Who doesn't? Yes. Well, I thought this was kind of cute i don't know if it's just me or what but i guess darlie was very very conscious of different cultures oh, okay and she wanted her boys to understand different cultures oh nice so here's um a quote from her testimony um she says quote as human beings a lot of us are from different cultures and it was very important to me that Devin and damon understood people from different cultures okay so she's she wants her boys to know about the world around them. Yeah. Uh, like I said, they would travel together pretty often. They would go to Lubbock often, several times a year because it was just a few hours away. But then they would also go back to Pennsylvania about once a year to visit family in Pennsylvania. Okay. As the boys got older, they they did more. They traveled more. This makes sense because it's it's easier to travel as your kids get older. It's harder to oh, travel totally. with infants. I 100% agree. Darley had a third son named Drake on October 18th, 1996. Devin and Damon were pretty close together in age. And so I think Darley was a little concerned about like a new baby being brought in five years younger than him. Uh-huh. They loved their brother. Oh, that's cute. That's always nice when that happens. Yeah, apparently they uh, they tried to, they did the thing that a lot of kids do where like they don't quite know how to relate to a baby. So they try and like play with the baby the way that they would play with each other. Oh, like because and they're older and they don't quite understand that. Yeah. The, yeah. So I think Darlie said that when she was like in the hospital and they visited her, they had like blown up one of those gloves into oh. like a balloon and were trying to like play with the baby with it and she was like they were just they were trying to bond yeah it, it all just sounds very cute to it, me. Uh, it they sound like a really nice little family they really do yeah darlie of course was breastfeeding drake and he was born in october she had stopped breastfeeding by march okay she had gained about 15 pounds and she was a very petite woman to begin with and you know smaller women weight even something as small as 15 pounds, yeah, can, when you're a tiny woman, it yeah. looks like a lot. Yeah, when you're shorter and tiny, yeah. But she's had all these babies, like... Yeah. Honestly, you know, what, 15 pounds, you said? Yes. That's, for all those babies she had, that's really good. But like you said, she's a tiny woman, so... Yeah, so she was feeling a little yeah. um, insecure. Understandably. A lot of, you know, postpartum women, it happens. Yes. Your body is so different. It has gone through so many changes. Exactly. By May, she had lost all of the extra weight. Wow. Good for her. She did it with diet pills. Oh. 
She actually went to her doctor and her doctor prescribed her diet pills. What year is this again? 96. Okay. So was it diet pills or was it like the bad it was diet pondamin pills? and fastin, so not mm. the illegal ones. Okay. I was going to say, or was it meth? She had actually specifically asked for these pills because she knew they were relatively new and she knew a lot of her friends that had really good success with them and they didn't give you a lot of side effects. Okay. So no moodiness, nothing like that. No real hormonal um, agitation. They just kind of gave you dry mouth, which she was fine with. Okay. So in the days leading up to May 3rd, she was kind of moody. Okay. She'd been crying a lot and Darley actually kept a diary. Okay. She said that um, her grandfather had passed away a few years before and she and her grandmother had actually been sitting and talking about him and her grandmother was reminiscing about all these memories they had. And she said, I really wish that I had taken the time to write it all down so that I would have more than just my memories. I would have all these things that I've forgotten about that I could look at. Ugh, that's sad. So Darley wanted to do that. She was like, you know what? I want to keep a diary. I want to write down all these things Mm -hmm. so that I can remember. And she said, um, quote, it was nice when you have a busy life to stop and breathe for a moment and reflect on what's important. Yeah. So that's she was keeping a diary for that. That's very nice. Very thoughtful, too. Yes. Um, There's some times in the course of doing the research for this that in 1996, Darley was 26 years old. Okay. And this is very she's very with it. In some of her thoughts, like she's a young mother with three young boys and she's teaching them about other cultures. She's thinking about documenting their lives together. She she sounds like an old soul, almost like a very sophisticated. Do you know what I'm saying? How there's those people that you're like, wow, they're just really together. Yeah. And they're like, yeah. Yeah. And I. I don't, there's only so much information about her before the incident that happens. Uh So a lot of the information about her is focused on the event. So on May 3rd, like I said, she had been moody up until then. And she writes a letter in her diary. Okay. And it starts, I hope that one day you will forgive me for what I am about to do. My life has been such a hard fight for a long time, and I just can't find the strength to keep fighting anymore. This diary entry is hotly debated, and it becomes a topic in the trial later on. Okay. She's so embarrassed about this. About the letter she wrote? Yes. Okay. Talking about it, referring to this day, she's so embarrassed about it. Okay. Because looking back, she's like, man, it just looks so silly, because honestly... We're we're all thinking it, and this yeah. is what everybody thinks. It sounds like a suicide note. Yeah, but and that but that was probably not thinking about suicide. But that's what is what how she, that is how she was feeling in that moment. Yes. And it, it's like when you do angry emails. I often do yes, these. like when someone writes you an email and you just like you just start typing you right, smash it all yeah. out, yeah, and then you, you go back it all yeah. and you write something <laughs> yeah, nice. Exactly. <laughs> and it usually starts with P. 
per my last email, <laughs> if you remember in my last email, if you'd taken the time to read. Exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. Reading comprehension is something you need to join the FBI. Favorite comment you've ever made to a single person. <laughs> To give everyone else some context, I've uh, I've said some things in some some groups recently. <laughs> snippy Crystal, isn't that what she called you? Didn't she say? You oh were my snippy? god! Yes, she called me Miss Snippy, and my life is complete. <laughs> I will tell you though, when you sent me those uh, text uh, screenshots of the <laughs> the thread, I was yeah. like. Crystal's just saying exactly what I was thinking, but I just don't type it. And Crystal does. And that is our personalities in a nutshell. Oh, my God. Uh, anyway, um, so back to Darlie. In the middle of writing this letter, she stops and she calls Darren. And she tells Darren and Darren was at work and she calls him and she says, I'm not feeling good. I need you to come home, please. Yeah. Um, Darren said that her tone, he was worried immediately. He dropped everything and he came home. Yeah. And that's like, oh, this family. Yeah. So yeah. Um, Darlie did say that in the back of her mind, she was thinking about a bottle of sleeping pills she had Aww. at her disposal. That makes me sad. Darren comes home. Drake, the little baby, was napping. Damon was watching TV downstairs. And I believe Devin was at a friend's house. So they were able to stop and talk privately for a little bit. Okay. Um, She was crying. She said she didn't understand why she was feeling this way. She didn't like feeling this way. And basically she just kind of opened up to Darren about how she was feeling. Okay. And you know, she's only what? Seven months postpartum at this point. All right. Um, I, I don't know if she had postpartum depression. It's never really been verified. Okay. But you're in a fragile place and yeah. she's taking care of three kids while her husband's running a business. It's hard. Yeah. But, you know, after they talked, she said she really felt better after she got it all out. She still kind of felt weird the, the next few days. She was crying on and off still. She still wasn't getting it. But then, like a couple of days later, she got her first period since having the baby. A year later? In May. Okay. She had the baby in October. Huh. Okay. It just, it, it took a while. And, you know, she was on diet pills. Yeah. And that, and which that probably, alters Yes. Your it uh, changes your hormones, hormones a little bit. Yeah. And that, yeah. <clears throat> and she was depressed too, obviously. Well, uh, speaking from personal experience, I can get pretty emotional in the days leading up to my period. Oh, okay. And interestingly enough, a psychologist testifies later that she thinks that this was PMS for it almost was, a year. No, no, just um, this, that in May. Oh, what she was feeling, okay. Okay. Um, that led her to write this to letter. Write that and, letter. Uh-huh. And she was crying for days and then she had her period and she said it was like overnight. She just felt better. Oh, okay. 
So the psychologist later says that, you know, I think that this was PMS. And I I don't disagree. Okay. It it makes complete sense to me. I cry for dumb things when mine's coming. That's actually how I know it's coming. Uh, <laughs> TMI for everyone listening. That when I start crying over stupid shit, that's when I know it's coming. <laughs> I mentioned that the Routiers had a, a very nice lifestyle. Uh-huh. Because their company was doing good. In 1995, Darren's salary was $125,000. Oh, wow. Which is about 224000 today. Okay. Like, they were bringing in money. And on the outside, you could tell. Uh, this home that they bought on Eagle Drive, Darley renovated it with uh-huh. uh, new marble in the bathroom. She put white carpet everywhere. um, One place, I don't know why this is so important, but they said that she put $12,000 drapes in the living room. Okay. I mean, that's really expensive. I don't know if that's the point they're making. Yeah. Um, They had this giant fountain in their front yard. Uh, They had a redwood spa in their backyard. Wow. Yeah, they had a 30-foot boat and Darren drove a 1982 Jaguar. Oh, my goodness. I'm saying they had money. Yeah. And they spent it. Well, as anyone would do. Yeah. Um. Aside from their possessions themselves, like Darren and Darley looked rich. Uh, Darren had a diamond watch. Um, and he had gold and diamond rings. Okay. Darley had breast implants that she was a very tiny woman, but she had uh, 36 triple D breast implants. Oh, geez. She she regularly went tanning. She had platinum blonde hair and she was kind of well known for wearing like a diamond ring on every finger like she was dripping. So she was really into self-care. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Now, despite how flashy they were, they were actually really well liked. Yeah. Um, Their house is where the neighborhood kids went to hang out. Oh, really? Yeah. So it was Uh, like the cool house. Kind of. Yeah. Darlie was, she was the mom. She baked cookies for everyone. She cooked dinners for their neighbor. Fun. She actually made a mortgage payment for one of her neighbors that had cancer. Oh my gosh. So they were were just good people. Yeah. So they like lived a good life and they were giving to other, they were generous and giving to other people too. Yeah. That's nice. Um, I thought this was really cute. The kids actually called their house the Nintendo house because they had an elaborate game room that the kids would hang out in. I just kind of thought that was cute. Yeah. I like, think you know, that's a cute. house is like the house yeah. when everyone has a nickname for yeah, it. Yeah. Um, so in early 1996, Darren's business actually started to suffer a little bit. Ugh. They got behind on bills. They got laid on their mortgage They owed $10,000 in back taxes. They had $12,000 on credit cards that they had to pay. Really often when you hear people talking about this case, people say that they were $22,000 in debt. Uh Uh-huh. That's where those numbers come from. Okay. It's from the back taxes and the credit cards. 
they hadn't paid rent on their uh, their business yet uh-huh. for June. I believe that they had also applied for a small business loan and it was like an unsecured loan. Okay. There was like a secured and unsecured and they were denied for a $5,000 unsecured loan. Uh-huh. But they were told that they could apply for a $5,000 secured loan and they would get it. They just oh. hadn't done it yet. All right. And I could have that backwards because I actually didn't write it in my notes. I just know that they were denied for one, but told that the other one they would be fine with. Okay. Despite all these bills racking up, uh-huh. their spending habits didn't really change. Okay. Which so should, they should. if bills it, are They should, but up. they but didn't. I get it. Okay. Uh, neighbors did not mention any outward signs of trouble. Like they didn't notice them fighting. They didn't really notice anything wrong. So they seemed Which, like a great family. They made yes. good money. They were giving. Mom was yes. nice. People loved being over there. But there were some things that obviously. W- Little things are starting to stack up. Okay. Okay. Uh, Darren actually opened a second business called Champagne Wishes. Oh. Um, where he would actually take people out on that 30-foot boat of his. Uh-huh. Out on the lake while they sipped champagne and they could use the bedroom below deck if they wanted to. It was just kind of a, <laughs> a, a cruise thing. I know the bedroom thing kind of was like, <laughs> cool. Was, okay. So, oh, all right. <laughs> I mean, sure. Yeah. Um. I could not find any reports on how well this business was doing. I I probably did well. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But, you know, life went on as normal. Darley was still shot like people used to talk about Darley. I think the only negative thing people used to really say about Darley is like how much she would shop. I guess people would call her shop till you drop Darley. <laughs> She was also planning a summer trip to Cancun Ooh. with uh, some of her friends. Sign me up. Uh, so this brings us to June 5th, 1996. Darren had actually just installed a new TV in the living room. Mm-hmm. Of course, the boys are excited about it. Of course. And uh, the older two boys, Devin and Damon, were actually playing in the hot tub for a little while that night. They created a big blanket fort in the living room. Uh-huh. They were kind of camping out in the fort and watching the new TV. Okay. Uh, Darley and Darren, as the night goes on, they were talking about what they always talked about. They talked about how business was going and what was going on with the bills. And, you know, this needs to be paid. They also had a little bit of a disagreement because... Um, the boat was, there was some part that it needed. It wasn't working and it was going to cost quite a bit of money to fix. And so Darley was trying to get Darren to just sell it. Like, okay. dude, we're not using the boat. Just sell the damn boat. Yeah. At the same time, Darren's Jaguar was in the shop and it had been in the shop for a month. Okay. And the mechanic was getting annoyed. Um, the mechanic called the house and was very rude to Darley about like, you either need to pay me my money to fix this car or you need to get it out of my shop. And so 
Darlie was very upset about this. Uh-huh. And I can't remember who said this, but someone, one of the witnesses in the trial said that Darren was the kind of guy you had to tell him to do things quite a few times before he would actually do them. Oh. So Darlie was getting irritated. She's like, you've left your broken down car sitting in the shop for weeks. Yeah. You aren't paying them. Now they're calling me and they're being rude to me. Oh, and by the way, you keep taking my car every day. So now I can't go anywhere and I'm stuck here at home with the kids. Like, you need to figure out what is going on with your car and you need to take care of it. Yeah. So, I'll, but, you know, by the end of the night, they were on good terms. It wasn't a full-blown argument. It was just a, hey, will you please take care of this, please? Yeah. A little past midnight, they ended up kissing goodnight, and Darren went upstairs to watch the news a little bit and go to bed because he had to work the next day. Okay. Darlie ended up staying downstairs, and she decided she was going to camp out in the living room with the boys. The boys wanted to sleep downstairs. Okay. Darlie was going to stay on the couch with them. Because, you know, she hadn't actually been sleeping very good recently. Drake was a chunk of a little boy and his bassinet was in their bedroom. And I guess it was to the point where he would like rock around at night quite a bit and make a ruckus and wake Darlie up. So Darlie's like, you know what? I'm going to sleep downstairs. You sleep upstairs with the baby. It'll be fine. Yeah. So she ended up falling asleep and I believe the TV was on. So um, I'm going to kind of go over the layout of the house right now. As Um, you are, are saying this, I think I've heard this before. I I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Because when you get to the, she was camping downstairs, you're like, Oh Uh, yeah. uh Uh-huh. But I'm, I'm intrigued and excited. So go on. So their house, the layout of it, the front of it, um, The entry to the house is dead center. And when you enter in, you have a living room to your left, a dining room to your right. And then you go through a little hallway to the back of the house where you enter into a family room on your left, a kitchen on your right. And then beyond the kitchen is a utility room and a closet. Okay. Uh, Not a closet, a garage. That's that's kind of the layout of the house. And Darlie's asleep. And this brings us to the 911 call. I'm going to play the full thing. I am going to warn you. It is extremely chaotic. It is very hard to understand. I'm ready. But there's a lot of good info in there. So I think it's important to play all of it. Okay. I am going to say... Uh, just to try and identify some of the people because you hear a lot of people in this call. There is Darlie, the 911 operator. You hear Darren in the background, a police officer in the background, and there's a lot of dispatch radio chatter. Okay. So, um, just to warn you, it's it's going to be noisy. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on, ma'am. Ma'am? I got a medical emergency. 
is hard to listen to because you feel her like uh, panic and then there's just a lot going on that adds to the anxiety of like with the the dispatcher and all the noises going on so regardless of like what it's what is going on like it's really anxiety inducing because um, I just I'm listening to her and then her panic and then knowing, putting yourself in her shoes. It's just, yeah, it's hard to listen to. And I mean, there's so many times where she's like, when are they going to get you? They're taking forever. Yeah. The desperation. Um, I will say there's a few times in the audio where she sounds confused because she's hearing the radio chatter. Yeah. And there's so much going on. Um, And then at the very end, the 911 operator keeps going. There's a policeman at your door. There's a policeman at your door. I will say there was already an officer in the house at that point. Yeah. So when Darley sounds confused that they're like, you need to let the police officers in. Yeah. And she's like, what? It's yeah. because there's literally one that's already in there with her. Oh, okay. It was a lot. Yeah. It's a lot to listen to. It is a lot to listen to. So, um... Basically, to get the gist of that, because uh, I think it's easy to get caught up in her panic. Uh Basically, she says that she was sleeping downstairs. Someone came in, stabbed her babies, stabbed her and got out. Okay. Police and an ambulance arrived within three to five minutes of receiving the call from dispatch. Depending on the source, like the time differs just a little bit, but they got there really quick. Okay. Um. That phone call is five minutes and 40 seconds long. Uh-huh. And they were there during the call okay. towards the end of it. The ambulance actually arrived just in front of the police officer. But the police officer has to go in and clear the scene first. Because as far as they know, there's been a stabbing and the intruder might still be there. Uh-huh. So the policeman goes in and when he enters, uh, you can actually hear it on the tape where you hear Darley say um, he went in the garage, go check the garage. She's telling a police officer like, Hey, that's where he went. Yeah. Check the garage. So officer Waddell was the first on scene and 
Um, it's hard to hear when you're listening to the audio, but if you look at the transcript and follow along with the transcript at the same time you listen, you can actually hear the officer say, you need to sit down, you need to lie down. Uh-huh. Because Darley is hysterical. I mean, yeah, you can hear, you can it. hear it. losing yeah. her mind. She tells him to go back to check the garage, which he does. He doesn't go in the garage. He, um... You know, I'll get into that in part two. But he says that he goes, he checks the garage and he comes back out. He runs outside to the paramedics. And uh, at that point, there was only one ambulance there. Okay. He goes out there and he says, hey, there's two hurt boys in there. You're going to need backup. And so um, one of the paramedics calls for backup uh-huh. while the other one grabs their... Um, their med kit from the side. It's just a really quick, uh, the bag that they carry in with them when they run into a scene. Uh-huh. Um, it's just got the basics in it. That's what he grabs and he runs in. Okay. While Darley was on the phone w- with the 911 dispatcher, um, you can hear Darren a couple times in the background. Darren was attempting CPR on Devin. Oh. Which is really sad. That is sad. Darren mentions at one point, and I think this was during his testimony, that when he, uh, Darren actually was CPR certified. I don't know if it was current at that point, but he knew what he was doing. Mm -hmm. He wasn't just like messing around. Darren actually knew how to perform CPR. When he breathed into Darren's lungs, um, one of the stab wounds had punctured his lungs and blood sprayed out. How awful. It's really sad. Um, I've been researching this for three weeks and it didn't affect me at all. And now I'm going to start crying because I'm actually talking about it. This is, this is a heavy case because of what happens to these poor little boys. The first paramedic enters in and his name was Jack Colby and he sees Damon. So Devin is the one that they were attempting CPR on. Damon was right against the wall when you come in. And he was face down by the wall. No, this is not where he was sleeping that night. He had actually woken up and stood up and walked a little bit. Oh, when this was happening? uh, After he had been attacked. Okay. And I'll get get into kind of the timeline that Darlie tells. Okay. So Jack uh, sees Damon first. And he was laying face down. So he turns him over. Damon gasped and Jack Colby said that that was the last time Damon took a breath. Oh, that is so sad. Um, given the chaos in the house and you even said it like it's anxiety inducing. Yeah. Jack picked up Damon and carried him outside uh. because one, this little med kit that he grabbed is not equipped to handle this. And two, for his own sanity and his ability to take care of this child, he needs to get him out. Yeah. So he carries him to an ambulance, hooks him up to an EKG, and I'm pretty sure that they drove off then. Okay. Like, we don't hear from Jack Colby again, I don't believe. Yeah. The second paramedic, the one that called for help, so he was just behind. Uh Uh-huh. His name was Brian Koshak. Okay. So... Brian walks past Jack attending to Damon and sees, um, as he walks in the room, he registered that Darlie was covered in blood 
and he saw that there was a child on the floor. So um, he went to the child first. Um, He checked his vital signs. He had no pulse and he was not breathing. Oh, man. In his testimony, he says that he, um, I don't know if you know what triaging is. Yes, I do. Um, For our listeners, when first responders go into any kind of scene where there are multiple issues happening, they will triage very, very quickly the victims. Um, The levels are green, which is like, you're fine. Get out of my way. Uh Uh-huh. Yellow, which is, you know, you're hurt, but you're not a top priority. Okay. Red, which is, um, this is a life-threatening injury and we need to get you um, at least marginally treated right now. Okay. Um, And black, which is, I cannot do anything for you and I need to leave you there. Oh. Um, Brian Koshak triaged Devin Black. Oh, man. And so he moved on to Darley because he said, this little boy... There was nothing he could do for him. And um, Jack Colby had already carried the other child outside. Uh Uh, He says this very clearly in his testimony. He said, I had two victims and I needed to take care of the one that I could take care of. So he goes to Darley and he noted that she was upset and she was holding a rag to her neck. Okay. She had cuts on one of her arms and she was saying, who could have done this to my babies? Oh. The same way that Jack carried Damon out of the house, uh, Brian said, you know, I, I got to get her out of here in order for me to treat her effectively. I need to get her out of this scene. So he leads her outside to the front porch. He was assessing her for shock to make sure, because shock um, can literally kill you. Yeah. He, she was answering questions. She seemed alert. She had good color. She didn't look drained. So he, um, he kind of kneeled down on the porch and started addressing her wounds. A second paramedic team came at that point. One of them helped him. So they put a bandage on her neck. She had a very large cut on her neck. Uh-huh. They put bandages on her arms. And then they took her in a... Um, they took her in a stretcher to an ambulance where they hooked her up to an IV. And they started um they got her in the ambulance first they cut she was only wearing a sleep t-shirt okay it was covered in blood and so they cut um up the front of it and then they cut the sleeves so that it would just fall off her and they could assess everything that was covered by the t-shirt to treat her Uh and this bloody shirt actually stayed underneath her body when she was delivered to the exam table at the hospital. Oh, wow. This becomes important later. Okay. During the ambulance ride, the paramedic actually noticed that under her bandages, there was a gold chain that hadn't been noticed before because we're talking it's 2.30 in the morning. The lighting is not very good outside, and he had just accidentally bandaged the necklace up with the cut. Okay. Um, He tugged on it a little bit because he wanted to make sure it wasn't in the wound. Um, Darley ended up wincing a little bit, and um, so he decided not to touch it. You know, the the patient is feeling discomfort. You don't want to cause them any discomfort. They'll deal with it at the hospital. There is a rumor in this case 
that the necklace was embedded so deeply in her neck that it had to be surgically removed. Jeez. This is not true. Okay. If um, that were true, that is yes, awful. Uh, this was actually due to Darren misspeaking because he said... Um, Darley passed by him as the paramedic was leading him out, leading her outside, uh-huh. and he saw the necklace up in the wound. Oh, okay. No nurse, no doctor has said that it was embedded. It was, it was stuck there because of the bandage. Yeah, and I think when you're recalling things like this, especially, you know, being there, I think you see things slightly differently. Like they, it, it's more exaggerated. Just because of the heightened yes. moment of what's going yes. on. Darley arrives at the hospital. They start taking care of her. Back at the house, obviously an investigation is underway. Um, more and more police officers arrive. They start doing a thorough search around the house. They got canine units out that started searching the area. And a man named James Cron, who was a retired detective was actually called in by the Dallas, um, actually the Rowlett Police Department, sorry, uh, because Eagle Drive was located in Rowlett, Texas, which is a suburb of Dallas. Okay. James had decades of experience doing homicide cases in Dallas. So they invited him to come in as a consultant. And this is a weird thing to me that they allowed the consultant into the crime scene when it was a couple hours fresh. Yeah. I don't know if this is normal or not. Like, this is just me. It just seems very weird. But James arrived at 545 a.m. Officer Waddell. Remember, he was the first on scene. Uh He was actually posted outside the front door to keep anyone from coming in. He was trying to preserve the crime scene. James Cron goes in. He starts looking around the house. He goes into the garage and they find that the garage, um, the window was open. Um, A rather a large window was open and the screen was cut. Later, Darley would actually say that she remembered a few days prior that the window was open, but she couldn't remember if they had closed it or if they had locked it. Okay. Initially, They actually thought that the screen was cut from the inside of the house. But later, further review, they said that, yes, it was cut from the outside. Okay. There was a blonde hair found in the cut window screen. There was dust on the windowsill that wasn't disturbed. And there was mulch outside the window that was not disturbed. Huh. Uh, There was a bread knife found in the kitchen that had fibers consistent with the screen material on it. Oh, I don't know where in the timeline this happened. I can't quite nail down an exact time. A sock with both boys blood on it, but not Darley's blood was found in the alley behind the house, 75 yards away from the house. Okay. The sock is really important in part two. It's just kind of something to have in the back of your head right now. Okay. When Darley's teacher was eventually recovered, because remember, it's actually at the hospital with her right yeah. now. Uh, both boys' blood was found on her t-shirt. Which, I mean, because she's hugging them and she's on them. She was not. Oh, she wasn't? No. She didn't go over to her boys after... 
I'll I'll get into okay, it again. Okay. I'll I'll get into it later because okay. I'll tell you Darley's story. Okay. Um there was a blood map done of the living area. Darley's blood was everywhere. Damon's blood was only by the couch where he had fallen asleep and by the wall where he was found when the paramedics came in. Okay. And Devin's blood was only by the couch where he was found. And by the kitchen sink, there was Darley's blood and unidentified blood. Like, it could have been from either of the boys. It just was not Darley. Okay. Her blood was all over the kitchen, all over the living room. There was a broken wine glass. There was a vacuum tipped over. A lot of stuff going on in this house. Huh. Back at the hospital, um, as soon as Darley got out of surgery, because they did require some stitches to close the cut in her neck and the one in her arm, immediately she was questioned by police. There was a cut on her neck that was about four inches long, a cut on her left shoulder that was about one inch long, a cut on her right forearm that was um, two inches-ish long, and a small cut to like the middle three fingers on her left hand. Hmm. Due to Darley's hysteria and the fact that she was under, uh, she was getting these stitches and everything done, she was under sedatives. And the police opted to uh, question her at that time. The timeline of the investigation is kind of rough. I didn't try and nail down any real solid timeline because mm-hmm. it actually happens very, very quickly. Um, Darley got out of the hospital seven days after the attack. Oh, wow. And the police told her to come down and do a written statement. They're like, hey, can you come down here? Give us a written statement of what happened that night. And Darley and Darren both go. They're there for a few hours. They both have written statements. Darley's is 10 pages long. So she goes into a lot of detail about what was happening that night, even earlier in the day, what they did that night. Um, and then talking about the actual event and what she remembers about what happened. So um, I am going to read you a quote from her written statement. Okay. So uh, she said, and this starts um, after she falls asleep. This is when she wakes up. She says, I felt Damon press on my right shoulder and heard him cry. This made me really come awake and realize there was a man standing down at my feet walking away from me. I walked after him and heard glass breaking. I got halfway through the kitchen and turned back around to run and turn on the light. I ran back towards the utility room and realized there was a big white handled knife lying on the floor. It was then that I realized I had blood all over me and I grabbed the knife thinking he was in the garage. And so I thought he might still be there and I yelled for Darren. I ran back through the kitchen and realized the entire living area had blood all over everything. I put the knife on the counter and ran into the entrance, turned on a light and started screaming for Darren. Oh. And that it, after that is when she gets on the phone with 911. It sounds like yeah. And I mean this is just one little section of it. Um after giving her written statement to the police, 
she and Darren immediately went to a graveside service for her boys. Oh. Um, it was June 14th, 1996, and it would have been Devin's seventh birthday. Oh, ouch. Uh, they had a small service followed by a celebration event. Uh, there were actually a lot of children invited to this event. I am going to send you a video right now um, of what this event was. It's only 45 seconds long. Um, so just watch that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I have a couple of things to say about that. A lot of people do. And you probably have the same comments. You and I have talked a lot about we don't know how we would react if those things have not happened to us yet. Right. Like yes. we even if they have, I mean, you might react differently next oh, yeah. time to something that's already happened. It, yes, correct. So like I can't say what was going through her head, but everybody is different. Everybody grieves differently. Everyone should be allowed to grieve differently. But you're judging her. I'm not judging her. I don't want to judge her because, again, I really I do believe everybody grieves differently. And some people push things deep, deep down and react a totally different way. I don't think I would spray silly string on my son's grave. This video is extremely important and I get into it a little bit today, but I will get into it much more in part two. Okay. Okay. This video is a huge part of this case. So uh, moving on because um, we'll get back to it. Okay. Needless to say, the police don't buy her story. Well, not after that display either. Um, <laughs> I will actually get, in part two, I will tell you exactly what time it was that they decided they did not in, um, buy her story. Okay. Um, so four days later, on June 18th, Darley was arrested for the murder of Devin and Damon Rudier. Uh, they were under the impression at this point she had stabbed her two children she staged a crime scene, cut her own throat over the kitchen sink, cleaned up that part of the sink because that didn't fit the story she was going to tell. Uh-huh. Then she called Darren and then she called 911. What? This is that is their story. They think that Darley stabbed her boys, cut her own throat, and it was over the sink. So let me get into I I'm very purposefully leaving some details out because part two, I will get to it. All right. So some of the weird things, I already mentioned some of the weird things they had around the house. One of the things that was extremely strange is that Darley's, like I said, Darley's blood was found near the kitchen sink. Kind of like... um. You know when you're hand washing dishes yeah. and water splashes up and yeah. it hits you right in the stomach? Yeah. Right there, there was blood. Oh, okay. The sink itself was oddly clean. There were some streaks of blood you could see in there, 
but it was almost like someone had rinsed it out with water. Oh. So that was one of the, that was what led to them saying she cut her throat at the sink and then cleaned it up because that didn't fit her story of she was being attacked while she slept and she had to clean up that part of the scene. Yeah. They also said there were zero signs of another person being in that room. I mentioned the vacuum that was tipped over in the kitchen. What I didn't mention is that there was blood on the vacuum and under the vacuum. Oh, wow. Under the vacuum? Yes. So, okay. I mentioned that there was a wine glass that was broken. I didn't mention that the broken glass was on top of blood. She, you can hear it in the 911 tape that she mentions that she touched the knife. I don't know if you caught it, but she made a comment about fingerprints too. I did hear that. Yes. That's not the only time she mentions the knife and the fingerprints. Besides during the phone call, which she mentions the knife twice, she mentions it out loud to a, a, one of the nurses treating her at the hospital uh-huh. and also to a doctor. Also, when she was talking to the police, she tells them, I shouldn't have picked it up because I probably covered up the fingerprints. Like, she makes this statement several times. Okay. Part of her story that developed later on to explain the water in the sink, because it was very clear that water had run in that sink, was that while she was on the phone with 911, she was getting some towels wet and putting them on the boy's wounds. Now, logically, you and me and probably most of our listeners know that to staunch bleeding, you use dry cloths. Yeah. Um, I think we went into this when, oh, you weren't there. Uh, Jane and I went over Robert Wan. And one of the big things with that case is that the 911 operator is telling them to put a dry cloth on top of that wound and hold pressure. And even if the wound is, um, even if the cloth is soaking up with blood, you put a new dry cloth on top of it. You don't take it off. So when Darley testifies, the prosecutor asks her like, why does this make sense? Why would you use what cloths? Why does that make sense? And yeah. Darley just says, I don't have any first aid training. I was just doing what I thought would help. Like Darren wasn't telling me what to do. I was on the phone with the 911 operator. They weren't telling me what to do. I was just doing whatever I could think of. Which I totally get too. I don't think I would wet the towel, but Again, you don't know in a panic. Yeah. And in her like panic, she literally just got ripped out of sleep. Yeah. She's just her kid is bleeding. Yeah. And like even when my like like with a paper cut, you just I don't know. I've done that before. I wet a, a napkin to put it on to clean it at the same time, too, I guess, is the thinking there. Yeah. You know? I don't know. I mean, a paper cut is a little different than getting stabbed in the lungs. I know, but, I know, but still. Um, police also said that the blood on the, her T-shirt, like I said, Devin and Damon's blood was found on her shirt. And it was consistent with cast off stains. Oh. Um, they also could not figure out. I don't know if you caught this because it was very quick. But in the 911 recording, you can hear someone in the background going, nothing's touched, nothing's touched. Who's that? It was a police officer 
noting that Darlie's rings and expensive jewelry that she always wore were sitting on the kitchen counter and nothing was missing. Why, if someone broke in, why aren't they taking that stuff? That's what they thought. And Darlie's purse was right there too. When she put the knife on the counter, it was right next to her purse and her purse wasn't touched. Yeah. There were signs of panic in the room, but according to them, there was no signs of a struggle. That's odd. Which they were like, if you were being stabbed, you would fight. Exactly. So all of these things are what contributed to them saying, yeah, that's definitely not. And then when you throw in that video. Yes. Yeah. So the trial for Darlie Rudier, I'm going to pronounce it wrong. The trial for Darlie Rudier began January 7th, 1997. This is just six months after the attacks. Like that is very quick. Yeah, that is quick. She was actually only, this trial was only for the murder of Damon because Damon was younger and because of his age, it actually constituted a capital crime and it was death penalty eligible. Oh, wow. So their thinking was, you know what, we'll try her for this one first. If she gets a life sentence or she's not convicted, we'll go after her for her other son. Oh, wow. Um, They actually never end up going after her for the other son. But they don't. The prosecution painted her as an unreliable storyteller that changed her tune over and over. And conveniently, Darlie has amnesia about the actual attack. She can't remember any of it, meaning no one can ask her questions about at all. You would think your sons were attacked and you were attacked and you would want to try to do everything you can to tell the police as much information. And now you don't remember. She to this day, Darlie cannot remember waking up to her son. Touching her shoulder is her first memory. That's really odd. They thought so too. They brought up the money troubles that they were having. And they painted this story of Darlie and Darren as these unfaithful lovers cheating on each other and having financial troubles and a bad marriage and Darlie wanted out. And they also pointed to that diary entry saying that, you know, she was not in a good place. And, you know, she probably had postpartum, which led her to take it out on her children. They said she was tired of being a mother and that she was more interested in shopping and showing off her breast implants. And she was tired of being a mom. I don't buy for with everything you said. I I don't even if she did do that. I don't I don't buy all that. There has to be something else. Also, remember that they they get a little dramatic for effect. That's true. That's true. I'm like, that just doesn't make sense to me. The paramedic assisting her on the way to the hospital in the ambulance said that she never asked about her sons. She only asked if they would get to the hospital soon. The nurses that cared for Darlie in the hospital said she never asked about her kids and she never cried. That is weird for someone so frantic on that 911 call and then to just be fine afterwards. That is weird. Darlie, and I've mentioned it, so you probably see this coming, but she did the one thing 
that defense lawyers never want their clients to do. And Darley took the stand for herself. Of course she did. Unfortunately, she was flustered. I mean, I only read transcripts and you can see how flustered she is. She stammered her way through answers. The prosecutor tore her apart. By the time her testimony ended, she was crying and the judge had to console her. Oh. So I've kind of given you all the information about what the prosecution and the officers and the detectives thought, like why they thought Darley was guilty, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. So because of the way she was acting and, and yeah. the by the graveside video. One more really goddamn damning thing is uh-huh. that um you know, when you're a detective and you have a theory, you bring the person in for questioning and obviously you ask them, hey, did you do it? Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, so in this whole timeline of things, when Darley was brought in on June 18th, which was the four days after the graveside service, uh-huh. James Cron sat down with her and he was questioning her and he testified in court that he specifically asked her, did you murder your children? Darley's answer was, if I did, I don't remember it. What? What? If I did, I don't remember it? Uh Uh-huh. Because remember, her whole thing is she doesn't remember the attack. Why would you even say that even if you were guilty? Do you know what that like? That phrasing is so crazy, right? That is crazy. Even if you were guilty, your whole, you're obviously trying to get away with it. So you would say no. You would say no. Whether you were, yeah. So that is just one more thing in this whole thing. That's like, man, Darlie is looking real bad. Gosh, gosh, that, and that's a stupid way to answer that question. It becomes so relevant later. Holy moly. This chick. So when the case was finally turned over to the jury, they deliberated for four hours before finding her guilty. Wow. In the aftermath, they said they played that silly string video seven times. (gasps) Oh, man. I'm telling you, it is a big part of this jeez they had it on repeat four days after she was found guilty darley was sentenced to death by lethal injection and she is still on death row really like, to, to this, this day? day yes has she appealed a bunch of times yeah um in the years since her conviction darley has filed several appeals and the innocence project is actually working with her really Yes. That's shocking to me because, I mean, I don't think she's, there's something more here. And in part two, I'm going to go over all the information. Please do. The jury never heard. Oh, no. Yes. Um, so I'll tell you why so many people believe that Darlie Routier is innocent and that the real killer got away with murder. Really? Does it have anything to do with the husband? Darlie's defense team changed a couple of times. Okay. One of her defense lawyers was actually going to use the argument that Darren did it. 
to introduce reasonable doubt to get Darley off. Oh. Because that's that's their job. They just have to introduce reasonable doubt. Yeah. At some point, her defense team changed and they decided not to do that. Oh, wow. Darren did divorce her after I can't remember how many years. Um, I don't think Darley has ever had contact with Drake, the baby. Oh, wow. And yeah, part two... Like I said, it may end up being three parts because there is just so much to go over. I mean, this is part one. Yeah. And I mean, I really skimmed over some shit. Like, Well, I can't wait for part two. Yeah. And uh, thanks to Meredith. Yeah. For, thanks, Meredith. That's a doozy. I mean, I, I lost a month of my life to this. <laughs> oh, man. It's so interesting, though. There's so many things that I... I knew some of this stuff, like some of the stuff I'm going to talk about next week, I actually already knew about. Uh huh. There's so much more that I didn't know about. Yeah. Like, there's so much more. That's crazy because I remember watching a, um, what do you call it? Um, Dateline? Yeah, Dateline. Yeah. And you know, when you watch it and going over everything I talked about today, it's like, man, um, yeah, guilty. Like yeah. she lied. She lied. She lied. She lied. Yeah. Yeah. She told. Well, it's just her behavior afterwards. But then when you when you hear everything leading up to it, everything sounds so good, you know, mm-hmm. and then the 911 call, she's so frantic and so legitimately panicked. And trauma changes people. It does it can change their personality. It does. It does. So I don't know. I'm trying not to form because at this point right now, I do think she had something to do with it, but then it just doesn't make sense though. I mean, the only reason being their financial troubles, I will say there were life insurance policies on the boys. Oh, well, there were only $5,000. Oh my gosh. Only that's not a lot. Yeah, uh, part two is going to be real juicy. Okay. All right. All right. Anyway, um, you can stew on that for a little while. Well, you, you cat, you can stew on that for a week. Um, I have a feeling that when the listeners see that this is part one, they're not going to listen to it. So they're going to get right into part two. I just know it. All right. Sounds good. Yep. Well, thank you very much. Looking forward to part two. Yep, and we will go over that next week. All right. See you then. See you later. Bye. Kat and I are so grateful for all of our listeners, and we love hearing from you guys. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Alternative Interest Podcast, and let us know your thoughts on this week's case. We want to cover the things that you guys want to hear, so please email us your case suggestions at alternativeinterestpodcast at gmail.com. As always, thank you so much for listening and sharing us with your friends. Be good to each other, and we'll see you next week.